When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Come meet me at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone, come gather round. To your favorite sound We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long We'll talk the games and all the rest About the team that we love best We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long We're gonna talk about the Cardinals all night long Good evening. Welcome into another edition of Beat Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdahl, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. Alan Medlock still doing the baseball thing, starting to, I assume, wrap up the season. I have not heard from Alan in a little bit. I need to check and make sure his sanity is still there after whatever the season is doing. But joining me tonight, fellow old man, Alex Crisofoli. You'll find him at AlexCard79. You've read him at Birds on the Black. You've listened to him on Terps in the past. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Uh, you may have read me at Birds on the Black if you were on the internet five years ago. I, I think it's a better way to say it. I, I, uh, I've probably said this before. I don't know if now's a good time to tell Cardinals gifts. I'm having a little bit of writer's block, but um, you can probably figure that out by now. Uh, I, I mean, you know, he, he he said something about expecting a piece from you any day now. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yes, that's that is the nature of the blogging world. I mean, I haven't honestly, I haven't written a post this year. I've written a couple of things at Substack, but I have not written a post on the actual blog except for the Plain Pepper series all year long yet. So I mean, it it happens. It comes comes around, well, and at some point. Mm-hmm. He, you are one of, I would say, the most reliable bloggers in our circle, um, sphere, whatever you want to call it, the the Twitter community. Mm-hmm. And um, you probably already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, don't stop because once you stop, it's really hard to get going. Yeah, I, I found yeah. that out. And you, you probably you probably already know that or found it out for yourself before. But yeah, I I appreciate how often you are putting stuff out there and it really is like exercising if you don't do it mm-hmm. you're going to not the, the longer you don't do it the more you're not going to want to do it again oh that yeah that's absolutely true i have 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 had some time where i've wanted to write and in the mornings right now i'm writing devotionals uh for the lenten season so i have not had it you know by the time i do that i don't necessarily have the time um, and then it's tax season, so it's harder to do it at work. Um, you know, once once I don't have to do tax returns, I'll probably find some time to do that. But yeah, I need to get back to it. You're right. I have every winter. It's like, you know, when you're not writing because there's nothing going on, and then it's like, do I really want to pick this back up? And you know, one year one year you won't. And uh, this would be if I can get to it. This will be the sixteenth, think the sixteenth season I will have covered fifteenth or sixteenth. So yeah, I, I kind of need to just for you know, completion sake. Um, although this team isn't necessarily giving us a whole lot. They're giving us things to talk about. <laughs> They're just not exciting and or happy things to talk about. It has been, I can't think of an opening week. I'm sure there has been, but I don't know that I've had an opening week probably quite as dramatic as this one in a long while, not only with the play on the field, but with all the stuff surrounding the team. Can you can you think of a time that's been more of a crazy opening? Not as dramatic, but I think of 2017. If I recall, they won the opening game. Uh, it was the first game of the season against the Cubs. Uh, you know, the Cubs are coming off mm-hmm. the World Series on a walk-off. I feel like it was a ground rule double by Randall Gritchick. You remember this game? 
and and then they lost their uh and then they lost two of their next um gosh they started the season three and nine i know that okay and we were all rightfully you know upset and because we thought this was a potential playoff team uh, probably not a winning the NL Central team, but a but a wild card team. And when you feel you have that team, but not a team that you know has a lot of uh, I don't know wiggle room in that regard. A three and nine start is pretty uh, pretty distressing. Um, so that's the only thing that comes to mind. But I don't remember any sort of drama like like what we're seeing now. Yeah, I think back to. <sighs> For, yeah, you don't have the drama for sure. But I think back maybe to, um, what was it, like 97 maybe? 90, probably 97. I just remember they started off like 0-6 or something, and then they mm-hmm. won. The first game they won was on a home run by Willie McGee, mm-hmm. uh, like a walk-off, and Ozzy Smith's in the booth. That's why I think it's like 97, because it's like right after Ozzy retired or something. Um, so there have been, although, you know, not great starts. Um, I was just having to pull up. I wanted to, I wanted to see what the 24 to 2004 team looked like. Um, and they lost three of their first four. So, you know, and again, they, they were 12 and 11 at the end of April. Oh, I, I think they were uh, quite famously 22 and 21 at one point. Uh, 23 and 22. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. There you go. And then they, and that was right before they ripped off that just incredible summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, we shouldn't overjudge this team on one week. That being said, you know, you come into it and, and we'll, and like I said, we'll, we'll talk about Tyler now. I know we're going to get there, but you come into this season thinking this team can hit and they can hold leads and we don't know about the starting pitching. Well, so far they've hit for the most part, although they're having trouble with that tonight. They've held a couple of the leads that, you know, they haven't had too many leads to hold, I guess, because the starting pitching has been so bad. Have you been surprised? I know that we knew the, the rotation was the weak spot, but have you been surprised at how weak it's been over this last this first turn and a half through the rotation? Yes and no, if that's a fair answer. Always. <laughs> yes, I'm surprised that you always hope assume that the people making this the decisions know a lot more than you do um mm-hmm. because they do right and right. i think the last couple years have kind of bore that out i mean i i know some people and um i i don't think this is necessarily irrational some people feel like the team is flawed um and that that is partly to blame for the early postseason appearances. I don't necessarily connect the roster construction um, uh, directly to how they have not necessarily performed well in the postseason. I think we talked about that last time, so I don't know if we need to get back into that. Um, I, I am surprised to see what looks like a rotation that is built to pitch to contact that seems to um, give up a lot of uh free batters. I, I'm sorry, free base runners. Um, and maybe I'm just feeling that way right now because uh, Jack Flaherty's on the mound and he has like an over, I think about 30% walk rate right now. Um, yeah. I think the team as a whole is, is like 8.5 or something like that, mm-hmm. but you know, you just can't do that. And, you know, Flaherty got lucky his first start and we're, we're what we're seeing right now in this game they're down two nothing in the sixth inning. It it could be more than that. Um, he escaped a bases loaded jam. I want to say in the fourth. But what we're seeing right now is what happen is what usually happens when you issue this many free base runners, which is that eventually they're going to come around and score. Mm-hmm. And I I think a lot of people already arrived at this point. I I no longer, but I wasn't quite there yet. But I'm I'm kind of there now, and I, I'm I, I want to be careful because. After we got swept by Atlanta, I was even thinking like, all right, everyone, calm down. We played six games. Right. I don't think we need to uh, be this dramatic about the team necessarily yet. 
that said, I, I am feeling like it's okay to be kind of dramatic about Jack Flaherty in terms of like, I, I no longer think he is a good pitcher. <laughs> and I don't know how else to say it. Um, and I think some people had already arrived at that. Maybe a good pitcher, maybe that might be overstating it a tad, but he just looks like something is missing out there, whether it's um, the the nibbling anytime he seems to have an 0-2 count, whether it's, I don't think you were watching earlier, but he had a uh, chopper right back to him and he tried to turn a double play and, and, normally would have thrown the ball in the outfield, but luckily a, a very good Tommy Edmond play kind of saved him from that. Um, and it was actually a great play by Tommy, Tommy Edmond was able to turn the double play in spite of being, uh, did you see this play by any chance? No, I did not. Okay. Okay. You might, you might see it on a replay tomorrow. Probably. But my point is he just doesn't look very settled. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to think about Flaherty. I mean, I'm also, maybe kind of parsing my words because I'm not a hundred percent sure we weren't part of his little hype video um, beforehand, you know, the, some of the clips I could have sworn it was one from the show. So um, it, it, maybe I want to be cautious what I say, but wait, wait, but yeah. say that again. Oh, the, the hype video that he put out before his first start, you know, and he's got the, it's got, little, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong. I could be hearing things, but I felt like there was a little bit of a snippet from the show in there. Um, I, us talking about, about jack i could be wrong you he's, and me no me oh. well just me it was one oh, one okay friend. okay that's great no, not, <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, so yeah, you don't you don't want to get put on blast again by him is what you're saying right and uh, and, and now that you've just <laughs> called him now that you've just called him a not a good pitcher you may find yourself <laughs> blocked <laughs> tomorrow i don't know um well but, and i i swear i'm not just saying this because of what you just said yeah Saying I, I no longer think he's a good pitcher, that's a bit much um, <laughs> because that implies like I that some people could read that to say, like, I don't think he belongs in the rotation. And that's not at all what I think. I, I think more what I'm saying is I've almost completely lost faith that we're going to see that Jack Flaherty that we saw at the end of the, you know, the 2019 season. Yeah. When he well, was you're lightning in a bottle. I think what you're, I think what you're saying, you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that you're not confident that Jack Flaherty is an ace pitcher anymore. Um, because yeah, 2019, it looked like he was turning that corner and he was going to be, he wasn't going to be Bob Gibson like he was for that second half, but he was going to be your number one guy, your top of the rotation guy, the guy that, you know, you lead off every playoff series with that, you know, everybody doesn't want to see. And because of injuries, because of COVID, because of all sorts of things, the lockout, it hasn't happened. And I think that there was a lot of expectation going into this season that, that you know, it was a, he was healthy. It was a normal off season, normal spring training. He was going to come in and I mean, it's two starts. So it's hard to say that hasn't, isn't going to happen. But when you factor that in with everything else that's happened over the last three years, then yeah, it becomes difficult to say this is the guy that's going to lead this rotation. Now, I mean, to be fair, the rest of the rotation hasn't been great either. So he could still lead the rotation. It doesn't, and it's not, um, and we could both be right, you know, on that regard. But, you know, when it comes to the end of the season, you know, the last two or three years, we have been concerned about, you know, Jack Flaherty's going to command so much money in spring and off season, and we've got to sign him early, or he's going to walk. And you know, right now, I mean, we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. But when it gets down to it, it's going to be a situation where the Cardinals may not want to re-sign him. They may just decide it's a change of scenery type of thing, and he he's got to find someplace else to be. Oh, I th I think that's absolutely what will happen. You know, unless there is some sort of turnaround, I, I would feel better if in his first two starts, he kind of was getting shelled, was getting hit pretty hard, um, but wasn't giving up the walks. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I I feel more comfortable with that this early in the season than I do a pitcher who's thrown 10 innings and walked 13 batters. Yeah, That, that to me is just a major red flag. But, you know. 
we're talking about this because, you know, this is a weekly podcast and we happen to be in the second week of the season and we all know what can happen by by May. Um, gosh, by the end of April, even. So yeah, yeah. obvious there's obvious that that caveat there. And, and if this team has shown us anything the last couple of seasons, it's this is the one team you never want to judge um, <laughs> before August. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different variables in, in play here. And again, like we said, two starts, um, I, I need and, to listen. I need to rewatch his thing. I, I, I too want to see him, uh, kind of put you on blast like that. <laughs> I, again, it could be, I just thought it sounded like us. I'm not going to guarantee that, uh, but it's around the 14 second mark. So if you want to see if you want, if you want to, uh, see how how crazy my ears are um but yeah i i mean i don't know and again we can't just single out jack flaherty here i mean until i mean honestly jack flaherty even with his walk problems probably has pitched the best of anybody in the rotation right um i mean matt's and montgomery um, and Woodford only have one start. Michaelis has had two. And I think if anybody, you know, opening day, you, maybe you throw that out a little bit because of the, the, you know, adrenaline and all that kind of stuff. But when Michaelis doesn't come back in his next start and throw an, a, you know, quality start even, I think that was a little bit disappointing, right? Because I kind of expected Michaelis to be that consistent rock that we're going to get, you know, good outings from. And for him to have two clunkers to start with, maybe even more disappointing than Jack Flaherty. Mm. Yeah, it's it's weird, right? Uh, this is why I think I've never loved F War to, to um, I, I guess judge pitchers, just because it kind of takes um, because it's so fit dependent. It almost kind of suggests that pitchers don't really have much control over the type of contact that, you know, that they're giving up, which, and I'm sure there is something to that, but the reason why I bring this up because Michaelis is currently leading the team in war um, <laughs> uh, per fan graphs. Uh, and it's because he, he has a 9.64 ERA, but a 2.70 FIP and a 3.23 X FIP. Um, but, but, but I agree. He, uh, it, I don't want to get in the too much of the debate of like, well, you know, were these, you know, he wasn't giving up hard contact. And, you know, a lot of these were just like kind of, you know, lazy fly, fly balls with eyes and stuff like that. Um, he, he didn't look that great to me either. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say too much because admittedly, I have to be honest, I didn't even see, um, because of when the games were, I didn't even see the Jordan Montgomery game or, or the, uh, the Mats game. So like, I almost feel like unqualified to even talk too much about the pitching staff because it's so early. And because I haven't even seen two of our starters pitch yet. Well, I haven't seen any of them pitch yet, so, but I'm still doing it. So don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, I, that's, it's interesting. I had not looked at the advanced stats on, on Michaelis. Um, and, Again, I think all of this has to be lumped in with the fact that the first six games were against the Blue Jays and the Braves, who are really, really good teams, right? I mean, you want your pitchers to be able to shut down good teams, but you also got to expect that a team like Toronto or a team like Atlanta is going to put up some runs. Um, so, you know, how, how much of that is, you know, we're seeing it tonight. You know, they've stepped down. Milwaukee's a good team, but they're not especially offensively in the class of the other two. And so far the Cardinals have only given up two runs. Um, so, you know, how much do you factor in the opposition to that? And how much does that, you know, mitigate any kind of concern we should have? Oh, I think we can definitely say that Atlanta might be the closest thing to a juggernaut in the national league. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I, you know, I never want to discount the Dodgers. I feel like they're just going to be kind of awesome and, uh, perpetuity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if there was ever a year where you could say like, okay, like the Dodgers have been overtaken in the national league, it seems like it could be this year with Atlanta. 
I mean, they're a really good team. Um, still, um, you don't want to get swept by anyone, right? Even a really good team, especially at home. So it does. It doesn't mean it won't happen. It absolutely will happen. I, I think one of one interesting thing about the Cardinals. I, I used to keep track of this. I no longer do this, but um, when the season. You know, like a week before the season, I would print out the schedule in my office and I would. Um, sorry, I'm not talking because uh, Cardinals just had Tyler O'Neill up with the bases loaded, yeah. two outs, and um, he, he did not deliver. Um, anyway, I mean, if um, game day looked like he still got a very much inside pitch, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but he looked to get jammed up a little bit, perhaps. Yeah. Um, any, anyway, so I, I used to keep track of every game on the schedule. I'd, I'd you know note whether it was a win or a loss, and sometimes I'd make little notations or anecdotes the game if there's something special happened. Um, but I'd always keep track of trends, and I want to say from like 2012 to like 2015. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but I don't think they ever got swept at home. Um, and and mm-hmm. I I also think during that time span, I don't think they ever had like a losing month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you, you don't ever want to get swept, even by by a really really good team like that at home. But it's it's still likely to happen. That was rare. That kind of run they had on. Um, I bring that up more as more to digress than to make a broad point about this. You're going to get swept. It's more likely than not going to happen against a team like Atlanta. But still, I, I we kind of want the Cardinals to be close to Atlanta. We kind of want them to be in their class. So even if it is Atlanta, it's still disappointing. Yeah, and I think also you expect that even if Atlanta is scoring a lot of runs, that you're going to be able to, with this offense, score a lot of runs. I mean, you know, it'd be one thing, I think, if they had lost those games, you know, 10-9, to like they did opening day. But it it wasn't really that close. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I don't think it's, you know, it's obviously not wave a white flag type of situation, but, you know, if I'm John Mosellock, especially after, you know, not adding on to the pitching staff, I'm not really excited about how they've come out of the gate, knowing that there's long season. And I'm sure that's what you would, Mo would ever, if anybody asks him, he would say something like, well, it's, you know, it's just the first week and, you know, and, and it's fair. But, you know, it doesn't make us feel much better when you see them just, you know, giving up two or three, four runs in the first couple of innings. And, 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 and this offense is better than past offenses, but so you don't necessarily feel like the game's over like you would have a year or two ago, but it's still not a great way to go through a ball game. Do you think there is a learning curve that is still happening with the pitch clock for, and I'm talking more about pitchers and catchers um, getting on the same page. Um, and do you think there's some sort of, um, uh, do you think there's some teams who might be better at this, who, who maybe focus on this more saying, Hey, this is something we really need to, uh, hammer down because this is going to be a big factor this year and maybe other teams who weren't quite as i don't know focused on this issue are kind of struggling a little bit out of the gate as it's because this is uh i i think ben Lindbergh in on the ringer brought this up this is the arguably the most dramatic rule change to happen in baseball since the designated hitter i, I would say it absolutely is i'm trying to think what else would come to mind I mean, in yeah. some way, you could argue it's even more radical than the designated hitter from the standpoint that baseball was always kind of the sport without a clock. Right, right. Which was always its one of its major selling points. I It would be interesting. I mean, because you could argue without any facts, because I have none, um, that a team with a younger pitching staff would be more adept at this than a team with veterans like the Cardinals, because, you know, they had the, the pitch clock in the minors for what, four or five years now. Um, maybe it's not been that long, but it feels like it has. I, I went to a game with the uh, saw clock and it's, I haven't been to one in a, in a little bit. So, um, 
I think I was thinking more from a standpoint of a team like the Cardinals who who have a new catcher who is mm. not as familiar well, with yeah. the pitchers yeah. um, as as we know Yadier Molina was. Mm-hmm. I'm curious and and believe me, I'm just generally curious. Yeah. I'm not trying to make excuses for their no. start, but I do wonder if there is a larger learning curve for um, or, or just to kind of get like some of the kinks ironed out. Then there is if, say, we're talking about a team with Yadier Molina behind the plate and, you know, Adam Wainwright pitching to him or Miles Michaelis pitching to him, someone that mm. that they've, you know, been in sync with and had a relationship for mm. many years now. Yeah, but that may that might have been the case even without a pitch clock. Um, just trying sure. to because we're not seeing a whole lot of we're not seeing a whole lot of violations. I mean, and there's one or two here and there, whatever. Um, but you know, nothing consistent. So they're at least getting on the same page quick enough. But whether that page is the right page may be a different story. Um, you know, I know we talked a lot about, or not, maybe not a lot, but we did talk about the fact that we thought stolen bases would go up under Contreras in part because of the rule changes in that regard as well, but also because, you know, it's not, you know, not Yadi or Molina. I don't know if we really factored in the whole, you know, idea that Yadi could see into somebody's head and know exactly what they were looking for and so knew what to throw to confuse them. Um, the mystical ability that, that Yachty had. Um, I, I mean, it, there's there's a ton of factors into whatever's going on this, this week. But yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to think that, you know, they're still, you know, Contreras is not Yachty or Molina and the, the team needs to kind of work with that. Um, you know, also think it's very interesting for me, you know, if the offense had shut down, like the pitching staff has troubled last year, who's the first name that would have been mentioned? It would have been Jeff Albert, right? Nobody has complained about Dusty Blake this time around. And I'm not saying they should. I'm just a little bit surprised that, you know, they haven't drug out the new pitching coach and started <laughs> flogging on him um, well, because of this. Well, do you remember after Mike Matheny got fired and Mike Schilt was hired? Hmm. One of the very first things Mike Schilt did was he he changed the lineup a bit, and the big things, the big changes were he brought Dexter Fowler kind of back into the mix, and two he batted Yadier Molina second, which was was you know I I, I think enough studies have shown that lineup is not the biggest deal in the world. That said, Yadier Molina in two thousand and um, Gosh, 2018 does not need to be batting second. Um, I can't but, think of a year that Yachty or Molina needed to be batting second. But yeah, yes. but because... Oh, hey, but Sorry, my, my son, who should have been in bed a long time ago, just walked in. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, Where was he, I? Oh, yeah. Let him behind you, and once he hears us talking, he'll go right to bed. Yeah. Mike Schilt, though, had so much goodwill to work with Mm -hmm. on the account that he was not Mike Matheny, that he could get away with something like that. Now I'm not comparing Jeff Albert at all to Mike Matheny. I I thought Jeff Albert based on what I read seemed to be doing a very good job. Um, But I wonder if people are kind of giving, uh, you know, the same sort of grace to the new hitting coach uh, because he's new, but you're exactly right. If, If we, if Jeff Albert were still in that seat and they come out guns a blazing like they did in Toronto, and then their offense kind of goes silent as it has the last couple of days, as what happens in every single baseball season, we would be hearing the exact same thing that we were hearing the last couple of seasons, which is that a Jeff Albert offense is too inconsistent. It's not, um, but know, I'm, you know, yeah, but I'm looking at, and, and that's true. I mean, Turner Ward would have a little bit of that. But I'm talking about, you know, you've got a new pitching coach who's making some of the same type of changes that, you know, in Dusty Blake that that Jeff Albert was doing on the hitting side. And yet when they are not immediately successful, we're not hearing, you know, what, you know what's going on with the pitching side. Oh, sorry. I, 
No, yeah, yeah, it was same. I mean, I get what I you're mean, saying. Hitting, right. hitting, hitting, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, the same thing. So, I mean, you know, again, I, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that at all, um, because I think, you know, one, any kind of, but you also, I mean, you, there is also that factor, right? Though, even if Dusty Blake is correct in whatever he's doing, which he very likely is it may just take some time for those results, you know, for the pitchers to get, you know, into a new way of doing things. And there may be some growing pains to go along with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've talked a lot about a lot of things, but I, I mean, it's about time to have to address the, I guess, elephant or, large Canadian in the room Um, this week, Tyler O'Neill doesn't score from second on a throw. And immediately the manager calls him out in the press. Now that's oversimplification. There are tons of ramifications of this whole thing, but what was your general thoughts on how this whole thing was handled? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, first, I want to say this sort of story is one of those things where it's hard to kind of tell, is this a huge deal? Not a big deal? Um, Is this something we'll not even remember two weeks from now? (laughs) That said, it feels like a pretty big, it feels like a a deal. I don't know if I want to say it's a, a big deal, but it feels kind of like it's, I would lean more towards it being a big deal than not a big deal, but who really knows? Um, to answer your question, you don't have MLB TV, do you? I do, but okay. I'm blocked out of the Cardinals. So, okay. Um, starting, I think last year it, it's, they, one thing that's been really nice is it used to a game would end. You probably remember this. And as soon as that last out was recorded, it would immediately go to like us. You, it would end. Yeah. You game is over. Yeah. Yeah. No, the game no is way. over. You're not getting the post game interviews. You're not getting any of that. That stopped being the case. I want to say last year. So I think so. And I, it, it depends. Sometimes I watch post game. Sometimes I don't depends on, what time it is, what I saw to do, whatever. But I was watching live during the uh, Ollie Marmel press conference from the other night. And I raised an eyebrow during it, even though I wasn't actually sitting in front of my TV when the, when the play happened. Um, now I think it warrants mentioning and Derek Gould met, uh, made note of this today. He, he did not walk to the podium and immediately start blasting Tyler O'Neill. He was asked about it. And then he answered in kind. Now, if, as Tyler O'Neill said, they had discussed it and it seemed to him that both parties had kind of put the issue to rest, I certainly understand Tyler O'Neill being annoyed and feeling like he was thrown under under the bus in that situation. Um, because, like I said, it... I raise an eyebrow and, and, and maybe it's because I haven't watched a ton of Ollie Marmel's, uh, you know, post-game press conferences just because I'm not always, like I said, I'm not, I'm not always watching um, right. at this point. The game's over and, you know, you've already spent the last couple of hours watching a game. There's other things to do or whatever. Uh, but it was one of those things as he was talking about it, you knew this was going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know oh yeah 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 especially in this day and age uh, it's not like when we were growing up when i feel like something like this could happen and you might not even hear about it yeah um, because you know we were mostly following the games uh in the newspaper or at least i was um follow, right. following the team via the standings because i was only able to watch a game like once every other week or something like that whenever they happen to be on tv 
we weren't watching every single game and dissecting every single inning and, you know, figuring out what every single pitcher's, you know, walk rate is and stuff like that. So there's just so many more microscopes on these guys than there used to be. And throwing it out there that, again, I, I don't know if this is even a big deal or not. I feel like it is. I think I would have preferred to Ollie to give an answer, something to the effect of, look, we all saw the play. I think we all agree that we wish it could have gone differently, both um, result-wise and effort-wise. No one feels that way more than Tyler. We talked <laughs> about it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's over because I don't expect that to happen again and because I have faith in Tyler. And I, I think that's how I would have liked to have seen that handled. Now, I will say I've seen a lot of people – harping on why was Tyler O'Neill sent in the first place, you know, with it being two outs, you know, they're down four one. I've seen a lot of people saying like, you know, that run didn't matter. I, I disagree with that. I mean, it wasn't the ninth inning. It was the seventh inning and scoring a run and making the game four, two with still at least two innings plus to play. That matters a lot. Right. And when you have Tyler O'Neill on second base, whose sprint speed is probably what in the top 95 percentile in the league. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. On a, uh, a ball that's hit the right field that bounces twice. I think it's reasonable to expect that he can score on that. And I also kind of come from the camp that I like trying to uh, make the outfielders make a play, mm. you know, put the burden on them to make a play. I, I always kind of agree with that. And when they make a play like Acuna did, had a great throw, regardless of what you think of O'Neill's effort level. It was a great throw by Acuna. And, you know, the Braves came on, out on top. And, you know, good for them. Great for Acuna. He's, that's why he's such a great player. But I don't hate the send as much as other people do. Because it wasn't the – if it was the ninth inning, I absolutely would have hated that. Uh, I think everyone would have. But in the seventh inning, when you have an offense – uh, like this one, even with, even with, I, I get it, you know, you had Tommy Edmond coming up next, um, uh, facing a, facing a lefty, right? So he was going to be able to hit from the right side. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I, I understand why people would have preferred Tyler and Neil not to, not to run right there, but I, I, I don't, I don't have major second guessings about the set. No, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to figure the first, the third base coach is looking at the lead and how fast he's going. But there's also that, you know, they're making a decision before some of that input can be there, right? I mean, they look at it like you said, it's a two hit, two bouncer in the on the outfield. You're going to send a fast guy, and then yeah, maybe as he's turning the turning the base, and you're like, oh, maybe he wasn't going as fast as I thought he was. Then you know, but by then you're too late. Yeah, too um, late. You know, there is the argument also of you know wet night, Teller O'Neill's injury history, you know, should, should that factor in as well? But, you know, maybe it should, I don't know, but I think you're right. I think, you know, you try to make the outfielder make a play. I mean, that's, that's what you would ideally do. And, and it happened and there you go. I, you know, there's, you know, it would be interesting to say, cause he was out by a significant margin. I don't know what it would have been like, uh, you know, top speed the whole way around does he score he might have but i think it's i mean i think it's at least possible right that he doesn't even even at, at his best with that kind of throw i think he does score i really do i i think if he takes um not as wide of a turn at third as he sort of did and is, is running r- running full tyler o'neill speed um does not look towards the outfield like he did then i think he scores um that said, as many people have noted, with the rain, with maybe, you know, baseball players are often dinged up without us even knowing about it. Maybe there's yeah. a reason why he wasn't running um, as fast as as we know he's capable. But I, I think you're right in the idea that, you know, Ali Marmol has come across as a very direct person um, throughout the, you know, now year plus that he has been a manager. Um, and I get that. I think it's good. I think it's, you know, there was a lot of complaints about Mike Schilt, 
you know, putting a happy face on some really bad situations um, instead of being a little bit honest about, you know, this was bad or whatever. And I think, like you said, there was ways to indicate displeasure without leaving tire tracks on Tyler O'Neill's back. Um, and I'm not really sure why Marmol went so hard there. Um you know, it kind of felt like, and it was, it wasn't even, he had an opportunity the next day. And, and for what I understand, Tyler O'Neill was supposed to be sitting that day anyway, but you know, if you bench him, okay, get it fine. But you know, there were some questions to Ollie that morning that he was about as abrupt in everything as he was the night before. And you think like, you know, okay, he slept on it and he's going to be a little bit more conciliatory and he was today after another off day and all that kind of stuff he had some good you know he said hey i like tyler o'neill i'm trying to get tyler o'neill to be you know the best tyler o'neill that he can be um you know if he has determined that tyler o'neill needs that chip on his shoulder and that's why he went to the media i mean that feels like a tony la Russa type of thing to do so maybe but i i still feel like there were like you said a, a, a softer way of getting the message across Oh, one hundred percent, absolutely. Uh, and I'm always so intrigued by these dynamics. When after, like the next day, when something like that happens, what is it like inside the clubhouse? Are, are they? Are, is it one of those things where, when you're kind of uh, upset with somebody and you see them at work, you kind of just pretend you don't see them? Are they? Are they talking? Is it like? business as usual. I'm always intrigued by what the climate is like the next day in the clubhouse when things like this play out in the media, similar to what happened with, I guess, Dexter Fowler and Mike Matheny not long before Matheny got fired in 2018. Yeah. Um, that has to be so awkward, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> Another thing I also want to point out when the Cardinals fired Mike Schilt, uh, what was that, like a week after the wild card game against the Dodgers? Yeah, yeah a couple games, yeah. Yeah, yeah a couple days, right? Um, I made a point that they really need to nail this next hire. Um, and I didn't necessarily mean they had to hire, like, the greatest baseball coach in the world in terms right. of – writing this ship or whatever but i meant it more from mo's standpoint in that if you make another hire that doesn't work out for the you know in a year or two or something like that i would almost compare it to that situation where if you're walking down the street and you get in an argument with somebody then then that person you get in an argument with is a jerk if you walk down the street and get in an argument with four different people then that means you're the jerk right um if 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 Ali flames out after two years, then maybe the problem is the person hiring the managers. You know, the Cardinals had three managers basically from 1980 until 2011. You know, if we don't count the interim managers, right? Do right. I have that timeline right? Isn't that when Whitey came yeah. in 19, 1980? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's say this goes south and I don't think that's going to happen, but let's say it did to the point that it's untenable and Ollie has to go after this year. We're talking about three managers basically in the span of, I don't know, five, you, you know, uh, yeah. Matheny from 2012 to 2020. Yeah. 23, three, three managers yeah. and, and two managers basically from 2000, from the second half of 2018 to 2023. That's not yeah. good. And I, I know it, it's a different age from Whitey and Tori and Larusa in terms of what the manager means, but that's still not good. No. And eventually, this needs to fall back on whoever it is. I, I you know, I always kind of use Mo as the catch-all for the decision making. I think for good reason. And yeah. eventually, it needs to fall back on him as like, okay, you fired Mike Schilt after the team you know, won 17 games in a row and seemed to have something going. Um, then you also, for what seemed to be kind of personality differences now, not just with you and him, but also it sounds like maybe with him and him and, you know, the rest of the staff. Mm -hmm. um, 
as they mentioned on the Cardinals off day podcast, you know, it was kind of odd that so many members of the staff from last year left before this season. Is that because of Ollie? I don't know. But if it is, um, that's not good. And eventually this comes back on Mo, whoever's making these hires that you're not hiring the right person. Yeah, I also wanted to note that Alex is the one that has caught, said that Jack Flaherty is not a good pitcher and that Mo is a jerk. So <laughs> that's Alex. Um, yeah, I think I, I I do think that the idea of the staff turnover. Hold, hold I, on, I, I only said Mo's a jerk if he walks down the street and gets in an <laughs> argument with four different people. I said <laughs> Mo's bad at hiring managers. <laughs> if Ollie, if Ollie doesn't work out. Um. I, you know, the staff turnover, I don't know that I factor that in. I have not listened to that. I have not gotten that far to listen to the, the Cardinal off day guys yet. I will. But I know JP Hill cards or Jason Hill from Baby Alberto's had a, had a thread that was inspired by that. And I looked at that. But, you know, I mean, Skip got a managerial job. Um, Mike Maddox, I think, really had an idea of retiring, but then he got to basically work from home um, and be a pitching coach. So, and Jeff Albert, well, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but it sounds like we kind of got runoff, you know, to some degree. Uh, you know, maybe there's some personality issues in there. I don't know. Uh, but it does, I don't know that I could factor all that into him. Um, you don't you know, think that, Matt Holiday showed up for a week and was like, oh, I don't like it here. I don't think so. because no, I, I, mean, I don't either. I don't either. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy that he knows. I mean, that was the thing, right, that we were talking about, that he and Marmol were friends. And they, so right. he knows what ollie is like um being a baseball setting or not i i I was very surprised when matt holiday took the job in the first place because i thought he wanted to be home with his family and you know turns out that's what he wanted to be but um i mean yeah but you're right anytime you can like oh well i can explain that one i can explain that one i can explain that one but when you start looking at, at all of it as one thing you know maybe there is a central tenant there um I don't know. I mean, you know, Ollie, Ollie is, has managed in the minor leagues, but he's still, you know, he's younger than most of some of his players. Um, and not even the, you know, the old, old ones, you know? So, you know, maybe there is some of that trying to set authority, trying to make sure that, you know, you know, who, he knows who's in charge type of thing. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, just, I, I think you're right in the first part. I think this is going to be something that just really kind of blows over. Um, the only, you know, if for some reason we see a change in how they use Teller O'Neill, who was, you know, of course, back in center field again tonight. Um, if we see Tyler O'Neill, you know, on the trade block, although apparently he was this offseason as they talked to the Marlins about him, according to Ken Rosenthal, um, you know, maybe there's more to it there. But I think probably in a week or two, we're going to kind of have forgotten this happen. That would be my guess as well. And I, I, I almost want to put a pin in this so we can remember to circle back, um, I guess on what would be uh, April 21st touch base. And let's see where we are with uh, Tyler O'Neill and Ollie Marmel situation. Yeah. That's, that's a fair thing to do. do um, you- Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I, I really do want to get your opinion on this. Do you think, do you think, okay, because you mentioned Tyler O'Neill maybe, you know, being on the trading block during the offseason, uh, the Marlins, whatever. Do you mm-hmm. think something prior to the play from the other night, something perhaps prior to the season, something mm-hmm. in the offseason, provide some context into what happened? Do you think there's something else going on? Not necessarily something else major going on, but do you think there's just been something slowly building? I think it's fair to think that. Um, I don't 100% know that that's the fact. We haven't sure. seen anything like that. But, you know, of course, Tyler O'Neill was gone for much of spring training. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, it does feel like, having something else, something else that maybe there had been issues with Tyler O'Neill, you know, not going full effort um, at some point in time over the last little bit. And so this was kind of like, 
the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it definitely felt like that would explain the harshness more than just somebody, you know, not running hard on a, on a day. Um, so that's, I mean, I, I don't know that there's, I can't think of what it would be, but it does feel like that's a possibility. Now, what do you think? I do. I, I think for Ollie Marmel to react that way, makes me think that it had more it had something to do with something not related to that play and that play kind of was the straw or something like that but mm-hmm. i mean i based that on absolutely nothing let me be clear um it maybe <laughs> maybe ollie just is very um has very bad bedside manner i don't know <laughs> it just seemed like such an odd reaction um, given the context that we knew, which was just that play. Yeah. Um, as you, as we were talking here, um, Cardinals went down. Oh, uh, well, now four to nothing oh, because I, I was watching it. I was watching yeah, it. Jordan Hicks gave up an opposite field bomb. Um, and that's, that's really what I want to get to. Um, because I think that's just an opportunity to talk. We have, this is the fourth appearance that Jordan Hicks has made. This is the fourth appearance that Jordan Hicks has given up runs. This is, you know, currently right now he has walked four batters this year and has struck out two. Um, are you, I don't want to say over the Jordan Hicks experience. Let's, I mean, that's because that's too harsh, yeah. but are you concerned that, they're going to have to move on from Jordan Hicks, maybe even before the end of the season. I am. Um, I haven't seen a lot of progression mm-hmm. um, since we first saw him. And I had to go back and look this up. You know, he debuted in 2018. Yeah. He's been around a lot longer than it seems like. He's uh, a free agent at the end of the year. I, I know. Um <laughs> And and maybe it's and maybe I feel that way because he's young. Um, I I had thought he came. I thought he made the jump from Springfield to the club. But I heard someone else say he no. went from high. I, I think I'm misremembering. Yeah. So I heard someone else say he went from high A straight yeah. to the majors. And I was like, you know what? That might be correct. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what he did? He went straight from yeah. high A. Yeah. He went from a, a ball to. Yeah. Okay. Major. Now he was, a, he was ticketed for Springfield, I think that spring, and then they just okay. I'm gonna do some major, like you know, hindsight 2020 stuff. But he does seem to ha- be the type of pitcher that maybe could have benefited from more. Um, I I don't know seasoning in the minors um, because he certainly didn't. He he showed up 2018. I remember that that game. It was opening day against the Mets. We lost. But I remember that being kind of like one of the bright spots. They're like, oh, who's this guy? You know, right. um, but he wasn't. He wasn't like a fully formed package like like Jordan Walker, <laughs> you, you know, is. Um, and and I, I don't want to overstate. I don't want to get too overconfident about Jordan Walker, a guy who has played seven games, has a seven game hitting streak, by the way. Um, I yes. don't know if you knew that. He got a hit earlier. <laughs> um, but you, you know what I mean? He's, he still seemed yeah. quite raw. And even though he was dazzling at times um, and and threw harder than anyone I had ever seen throw before, it, it just seemed like, uh, and I don't want to say something as basic as, well, they only brought him up because he throws hard. There obviously is more to it than that. Um, you know, he has decent movement, but he has never seemed to quite be able to put it together. I, I, I don't want to pretend and sit here and, that I know enough about pitching to diagnose what the issues are with Jordan Hicks. But I can say, I I just don't see it working out to how we all hoped, at least in St. Louis. Yeah. Well, I've had this discussion, I think on, on shows with other people at times. And I think that if you're Jordan Hicks, you take the career that you've got, right? Because you've got assuming nothing strange happens. He'll have six years in the major leagues. He'll probably sign a free agent contract with somebody, no matter what happens this year, because they'll think they can at least fix him. 
he's probably going to get to at least seven years and, and has, has a chance to have a long career. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt, but I'm talking about like worst case scenario. He's going to have probably seven years in the, in the major leagues um, versus working your way up as a starter and never necessarily making it to the majors. He probably would have, I think we, you know, we saw enough in that, you know, first year in the minors that unless he hit some sort of wall, he probably would have made it up, but you know, he's probably just making it up, you know, this year, last year, maybe, you know, um, and then you factor in at times, you know, like this year where you're going to put these people, you know, we keep talking about, you know, not having spots in the rotation, who knows how that factors in. So, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns if he had stayed in the minors and worked his way up, but you do wonder again, you'd wonder if he'd have been better served by that overall. Um, because it does feel like now, again, you also, you know, figure factor in the, the, the Tommy John and, and all that kind of stuff and missing, you know, what half a 19, all of 20, a little bit of 21, or maybe he missed more. He missed a lot of 21, didn't he? Um, so he hasn't pitched a lot, even in the majors. So, I, I don't know, but it is distressing. It does feel, it feels to me that it, he's kind of that illustration and, it, and, I, and I say this and it's probably too harsh, but it is a little bit of that illustration of the whole saying of a thrower, not a pitcher, right? I mean, he can throw it hard, but his strikeout rate has always been lower than you would expect for a guy that can throw at 105. Right. And I want to preface what I'm about to say that I know this is going to sound really stupid. But when Araldus Chapman would come in and throw 103, it looked like what I would think 103 would look like. I don't feel that way about Jordan Hicks. Yeah. And clearly the and maybe that's because uh, so many uh, batters are actually getting, you know, wood on the ball um, as opposed to. Araldus Chapman in his prime. I mean, you know, we Ooh. saw that firsthand. He oh, yeah. he he dominated us. Um, what what was that stat? Did he did he ever? Oh. Um, did we ever even get like an earned run off him? <laughs> like, wasn't there? There was, did, but if some, anybody did, it was late in his career. I, yeah, I, it's ridiculous. He he really haunted us. Um, and yeah, I I just. I don't know. I, I it's it's a shame because he seems like uh, a really good guy. Um, you know, he certainly, uh, to his credit, has has ambitions beyond just being um, a setup guy or a closer or however mm-hmm. you know you want to use him as a relief pitcher. And to that, I say good for him. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I am no longer confident it's going to work out at least in St. Louis, and that's a shame. Raldus Chapman threw 37 in the third innings against the Cardinals and had a 1.69 ERA. Okay. Um, I, I, I think what the set I was thinking of, which is way less impressive than not ever giving up an earned run. I think he never blew a save against us. Well, honestly, though, I look at the year by year here. Uh-huh. Um, it looks like he gave up seven runs in five innings against the Cardinals in 2011. Okay. That's the only other. That's the only year he gave up a run against the Cardinals. Really? Okay. So maybe I'm not wrong. So, I think okay, it was so. the fact that he hadn't given him up in so long because it was, you know, six, seven. I mean, you're looking at 13, 18 and a third, 25 and a third, 29 and a third, 30 and a third, 31 and a third at least. And who knows what, you know, how many were in 11. But yeah, it's been over 30 innings uh, since he gave up a run against, or was charged with a run at least. Okay. Um, against the Cardinals. So yeah, I mean that that's, tracks from what I remember. Yeah, I, I mean well and we'll probably get a chance, to, you know, with him being in Kansas City, there's a good chance they'll have a chance to change that this year. It would be very I mean, you'd like to think with this lineup that he could could do that, but who knows? Um but yeah, you're right. Hicks I mean and part of that is, you know, he he throws he throws it 105 and it looks like other pitchers throwing at 95. I mean, he just doesn't, it's easy. It's, it's, it's amazing to do that, but I, I just, I don't know that there's enough variety and, you know, it throws a wild pitch. He walks a guy in this inning. I uh, did get a strikeout. Um, it's just difficult. I mean, cause you want Jordan Hicks to be at least your seventh inning guy, you know, guy, he turned it to Hicks and Gallegos and, 
um, Helsley, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of heat and a lot of things that could go well, but I don't see how you can right now. It's hard to see Jordan Hicks pitching in a game that's close um, one way or another. Yeah. Um, um, we did mention Jordan Walker. Uh, Jordan Walker got, you know, like you said, seven hits. He's had a hit in every game. So I think if he keeps this up, he's going to make a hall of fame. If he gets a hit in every game he plays, I think he's going to make the hall of fame. Uh, but he did get his first home run as well. Uh, and I think that's part of it, right? It's not, I mean, there's been a games that he's just got a, a, you know, a little single or base hit, but he's hit the ball pretty well o- overall and has not looked overmatched at, at all in the first seven games. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm comparing him to Giancarlo Stanton, but like Giancarlo Stanton, I have a feeling he's going to be hitting a lot of home runs that leave the park in a hurry. Mm. Y- you know what I mean? He seems to hit, hit those types of home runs that aren't going to be, um, you know, sky high, you know, scraping the top of a dome. He is going to be hitting the type of home runs where people in the left uh, left field stands are go- going to want to be careful. <laughs> He seems like that that type of hitter. Um, he is also kind of like Albert Pujols in the uh, second half of last season. Uh, appointment television. If, if he's up, I'm watching. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I think that's, and it's exciting that you know, the Cardinals don't have to bat him second, right? They don't have to make him a key cog. I mean, he's batting eighth, seventh and eighth for the most part. And that's just because his lineup is that good. It lets him ease into things. And I think it's only going to be a positive thing for him. Absolutely. Um, on the injury note, before we start wrapping it up for the night, Adam Wainwright is throwing a bill pin section. It's going to throw another one, probably go do a rehab start. looks like I'm guessing what, couple weeks maybe at that rate that's what it seems we'll like yeah and then newt bars went on the injured list because he jammed his thumb on opening day we've seen one yep has come back um that sounds like he'll be back soon i you know nothing serious uh, although the people of japan may not think that that's the safe well yeah, it, it's definitely nothing serious, but you know, we we had high hopes for Lars Newbar, but th- this is the type of team that, at least on paper, the offense seems deep enough to, to be able to s- cover up a, an injury like that. Um, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Yepes. You know, between O'Neill, Carlson, uh, Jordan Walker. Um, I'm not too worried. I, I'm I'm more worried that I think he's such a good presence in the clubhouse, even as as a young guy. Um, but the offense is so deep, and, and you know we haven't even talked about Nolan Gorman and the start he's off to. Yeah, and, uh, Brendan Donovan. Um, you, you know, you mentioned you haven't listened to the latest Cardinals off day podcast yet. Not yet. I was listening. I I think yesterday, right? Was yeah, because that was an off day. Off day. Um, yeah. And something was said that made me laugh out loud. And it just reminded me of what kind of like esoteric circles we run in <laughs> and, and how like in the weeds we are with this stuff. Um, but it was said without a hint of irony or trying to be funny. Someone referred, someone mentioned Ben Clemens, uh, excellent writer at Fangraphs, having written the definitive Brendan Donovan quality of contact piece <laughs> as 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 if people are chomping at the bit to write you know about brandon donovan's um exit velocity and uh ben clemens wrote the definitive piece on it and and he did you know i i i i have no doubt about that he did because ben is ben clemens is excellent uh, i think he's been on has he been on meet me at mutual uh, i believe he was on with us last year yeah, yeah I, I, so. I thought so um, but yeah, it just, uh, it, I, I'm just trying to think the reaction I would get if I turned to like, I don't know, one of my friends who's not as interested in baseball and 
say, hey, did you read the definitive piece on uh, Brennan Donovan? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the, the great part of, of, of any fashion, I guess, is just uh, you get into the weeds on it a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, that is pretty good. Um, and, you know, I, I know that those guys, and you're right. I mean, I think I remember the piece that uh, I don't know that I, I read it all because some of that stuff goes over my head. I am too old for, for some of these, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a good piece. And um, it, it's, uh, it is funny what are a little, you know, people are probably, you know, if you talk to other people, it's like, yeah, we spent an hour talking about the complaining about the Cardinals uh, pitching staff. And they're like, what are you doing with your life? And I think it's a fair question. Well, um, speaking of what are you doing with your life? I remember thinking like, you know, I, I think it might be time I stop writing at Viva Alberto's. Um, it was mostly because uh, I had another, my daughter was born. I just have the time mm-hmm. anymore, but I remember staying up till like 1am stressing over this piece that was about whether or not the Cardinals won the Brandon Moss trade. <laughs> And it was it was for Rob Kaminsky, right? If I recall, yeah, was that the yeah. guy? Was that was that yeah. his name? Yeah. yeah, that was his name. Yeah, and then I just remember thinking, like, why am I doing this myself? No one's gonna, no one cares about this. It's gonna be but, written and discarded, but, but yeah. it had to be written. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, and I think, I think we can comp- it, that you know that that late in his Cardinals career slump, notwithstanding, which was as bad as we've ever seen. I think mm. we can say the Cardinals won the Brandon Moss trade. Yes. Especially when they got Rob Kaminsky back in a couple of years. Later. That's right. Um, That's right. It was, it was, they played the long game. Yeah. So i always find it fascinating. It's always kind of fun when the person that gets traded for and the person, you know, they were both wind up on the same team later on. Um, no, I remember that from, uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero being traded for John Tudor and then then they signed John Tudor back a little you know a year or two later. Did the Cardinals so Ray Lankford was on the 2014. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how I wanted to say they got Ray Lankford for who? They got Ray Lankford for Woody Williams. Um or they got that Woody Williams for Ray Langford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then Woody Williams was also on the 2014. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's another great example. Yeah. Another, another chance. So, yeah, it's always, it's like, yeah, that's the way you're supposed to work a trade right there. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you think that, but that's the way it feels like. So, oh goodness. All right. Well, we've reached about an hour or so. Um, and the Cardinals are still losing, um, no matter how much we talk about, you know, try to give them that chip on their shoulder. They have somehow have not hurt us through the aether. Um, so we will wrap it up for this week. Alex will be back with me next week, but also we are going to be joined by Dane Perry, a writer at CBS sports, big Cardinal fan who started up a Substack as well. And, uh, look forward to having him join in this mix next week. But until then, for Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. He's got it! Struck him out! Look at the scene on the field. McCarver, the first one. Now his infielders all over him. A new world's record of 17 strikeouts in one game. <laughs>